0: Own time, gentlemen.
1: Must be something bigger. for the general's here. You have a brother in the 2nd Battalion. Yes, sir. They're walking into a trap. Your orders are to deliver a message calling off tomorrow morning's attack. If you fail, it will be a massacre. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Movie Scramble podcast. Today we will be discussing the Sam Mendes film 1917, which is still on top of the UK box office after being out for a couple of weeks. Joining me this evening is Mary.
0: How the hell are you? It's Brittany Bitch. I'm back. I'm so excited. I genuinely have missed doing this podcast. I'm really good. I've moved house. I'm obviously still engaged, we haven't killed each other, and we're wedding planning, so just been super, super busy, but I'm really glad to get back into my cinema and doing this with you guys.
1: Of course, when you say you're getting married, that's to the the ever-lovely Chris. Yes. It's not like Simmy or anything. It's not one of these incestuous movie scramble affairs or anything like that.
0: No, definitely not. You know if I was having a movie scramble affair, it would be with you, John, so don't (laughs) worry. I'm
1: going to have to cut that out. Obviously, there's just the two of us this evening. Unfortunately, Thomas, the, the usual main man, the choreographer, if you like, of the, <laughs> the Movie Scramble podcast, can be with us. But he sends his apologies and he will be back on the next one, which is obviously very good news. But we thought we would go ahead and do this because 1917 is a fantastic film and we wanted to spend a bit of time talking about it. The film, as I said, is from director Sam Mendes. It stars George Mackay and Dean Charles Chapman. features performances by the likes of Mark Strong, Andrew Scott, Richard Madden, Colin Firth, and Benedict Cumberbatch in various small roles. It is based around the 6th of April 1917, when two Lance Corporals are tasked with Taking a message from their front line to another part of the front line which has been cut off. And they have to deliver a message to tell the front line that they should not be going ahead with their planned attack on the enemy who has retreated. Basically because the generals which are sitting behind the the front line have realised it's a trap. And it's going to be a massacre and 1,600 souls are at risk here. The film has been getting so many awards and so much good publicity over the last couple of weeks. It's one of these films that will, I think, redefine cinema over the next couple of years. Mary, you wrote the review for the Movie Scamble site, I should say, and you loved the film. I think based based purely on your review, what attracted you to the film and what did you take from it?
0: So this is going to sound like a kind of weird comment to make, but I don't think World War One gets enough cinema time because it's not, I don't know if it's seen as maybe not as like sexy or whatever, because there's not a kind of clear villain, like the way you have the, you know, Figure of Hitler in World War II cinema. And I don't actually think it gets enough screen time. And yet it's a war that completely changed how we fought wars in the first place, but also the sort of PTSD or shell shock, as they called it back then, that many of the soldiers experienced was something that, you know, had never ever touched Britain before. And I think that this film really kind of captures that. There's so much, you know, war fatigue amongst the soldiers who are in the trenches. And I don't mean that in that, you know, they just can't be bothered. I mean that. They are, you know, extremely distressed. By the time this film is set, there's still about 18 months of war still to go before World War One finished. And for me, the minute Blake and Schofield went up and over, I just held my breath. Like there was two hours of me just, I I couldn't exhale. I was so wrapped up in everything they were doing. And you know what really struck me, and I said this in reviews, that you know these are young boys. These aren't, you know, men who are equipped to be soldiers or know anything about war or really why they're fighting they're just young boys who've been you know conscripted and I just I felt so much for them I just I couldn't I was completely wrapped up in my own emotions and then I looked to my left and there was an elderly gentleman absolutely breaking his heart sobbing across the aisle from me as well so I think it was quite emotional cinema experience for everyone actually but yeah no I loved it you know amazing performances and just I I was fascinated by how they were going to pull off the kind of single shot or single take thing because me being me I was looking for the join or whatever but it's flawless it is absolutely flawless and for me it outstrips Dunkirk.
1: Mm -hmm. I pretty much agree with you It's, it's a slightly different beast to Dunkirk in the way that it's staged and everything I was a bit the same as yourself I've seen the film twice and the first time when I was watching it you're very conscious of the fact that it is a one take or it appears to be a one take apparently it's a, a series of takes that are very cleverly stitched together some are very short but some are up to nine minutes long which is just absolutely astounding as far as I'm concerned to have a shot that lasts for nine minutes and covers so much ground and time and story is just an amazing feat of it's an amazing feat of cinematography it's just an amazing feat of direction and acting and Everything to do with the whole production was just, it was just totally spot on. I was a bit scared to begin with that it was going to be overshadowed by the technique it was using. That was going to be the sort of main focus for it. But what that did was it drove the story and it drove it in such a way that there was tension right from the very start. It started very gently. It was like a field in France and one of the guys was sleeping and another guy was pretending to sleep. And then from there... The tension just racked up and racked up. And it, it you got moments where it, it would sort of come down again in order for you to almost like the audience to have a breath and then start back up again because you knew that the next thing was just around the corner. It oh, just, yeah. oh.
0: And the the sort of danger, whatever you want to call it, was literally everywhere. You know, they were falling into these kind of slurry pits and Schofield's character's cut his hand and he goes to stick his hand in the mud and he realises he's actually just stuck his hand inside a corpse. And it's okay, that's not like, you know, he's not getting shot at or whatever, but it all just compounds this trauma and distress that is you know weighing on their shoulders from the very very start because these boys know that if they don't complete their task then they're responsible for the deaths ultimately of you know 1600 men and Blake's brother is in the battalion that he's sent to rescue so he's really really invested in in getting this message across mm-hmm. and i think you're right like the single shot thing is not gimmicky it's definitely it's an action driver it's not I I don't know what the word is but it's not sort of it's not detrimental to the film and actually if you're seeing some shots are nine minutes long then to me that's kind of testament to how engaging this film is because name me anything else in cinema these days that isn't like short sharp cuts Whereas this completely held you from start to finish as I say as soon as they went up and over I was like I can't breathe
1: yeah, well, that, that's what I was saying. This is going to kind of redefine filmmaking, just in some of the techniques they used, and the fact that the camera that you, they used for this is the smallest, lightest camera that they could possibly get. I believe they're prototype cameras they used made specifically on the request of Roger Deakins, the cinematographer, so that they could get some of these shots, like that particular one when they're in No Man's Land and they, mm-hmm. they go down into the big pit and they go round this massive big pit that's filled with water, but the camera just glides right over the top and then just yeah, meets the that was a beautiful shot. It's just, wow, you know, you, you could spend the whole of the time just saying, how the hell did they do that? But you're so engrossed in the film, it mm-hmm. really pulls you in. A lot of it's to do with the, the the acting as well because it's it's just spot on. These guys are like wearing their heart on their sleeves so the whole time there's sort of nice wee elements in it where they're just chatting away, as you said, when he hurt his hand and he says, oh, well, you'll be wanking in no time, don't worry about it. And he <laughs> <laughs> retorts, wrong hand. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I thought that was particularly good. And yeah, just there the, was... the fullness of it, you know, the the way that when they were walking through the trenches at the beginning, and, like, all life was on show there. There was guys just sitting about. There was people trying to dig others out of the mud. And, oh, it's just, there it was everything going on. Apparently, there was scenes It was, like, more than 500 extras. I mean, um,
0: I don't know how all of those extras did not catch some sort of pneumonia. Because I must admit, watching some of those scenes, I felt cold. You know, they're walking through this freezing cold water that's like waist deeper there's mud everywhere and they there was some shots where they were their shoes were caked in mud right up way past their ankles and I was like those actors must have spent that entire shoot miserable because they must have been freezing cold and soaking wet and then actually I was like yeah but there was real people doing that in the trenches, like, those actors could go home and dry off, like, there was real people for whom that was very much a reality for four years, but it really, like, there was something just kind of, like, I don't know, I felt like you could feel it and, like, smell the cold, do you know what I mean? It was really, really immersive, Mm -hmm. and there were so many shots, like, you mentioned that one where the camera just sort of glides across that water, and there's a couple of scenes where the camera sort of seems to plunge kind of underwater and stuff like that as well, and just really really beautiful cinema like I actually turned around to Chris a few times and was like that's my favorite shot that I've seen in this film so far and then five minutes later I was like oh no this is my favorite shot. <laughs> like it was stunning I've, just, I've never seen anything quite like it It was like it did feel like a kind of immersive experience but you know all credit to Sam Mendes and, and Roger Deakins because that was it really I don't know it just it proves that it's not a gimmick and that it just works
1: Yes, it's been done a few times. Sam Mendes did it, obviously, before he did it on Spectre, I think. Mm-hmm. Opening five minutes. And that yeah, was that's show. right. Yeah. But this is obviously taking it to, to the next level. This is taking it to sort of Birdman levels of ingenuity. I like doing it for a whole film. There are cuts in this, but
0: they are very well hidden. Yeah. The only one I could think of, I forgot about Birdman, actually. The only other film I could think of like this was Rope. Mm-hmm. I couldn't, and even then, there's a couple of scenes in Rope where they maybe close up in Sunday's jacket and then come back out or whatever. And that's where you kind of like see the join or whatever. But then this, I just, God, I barely noticed anything in this because i just felt like i was standing like right next to these guys i saw it on super screen as well which helped right because it was like
1: oh definitely yeah
0: yeah it was so good but yeah i thought that there was a really nice sort of commentary running throughout it of like it's mark strong's character i think you know says to george Mackay's character you know he's witnessed all these horrible things and he's like best not to dwell on it Mm. and i was like there's this whole thing, I mean, this total British stiff upper lip thing that was very much in place at that time. And, you know, the horrors that these guys were subjected to, you know, there's scenes where he's wading through like bits of people, not even whole people, like bits of people. And they're just like, well, you know, carry on because it's your duty for king and country sort of thing. And I thought George Mackay as Schofield was absolutely amazing because every time this, there was a kind of shot of his face, I thought he just looked horrified, like he his character was absolutely perfect he he was gave a really really good performance
1: mm-hmm. well it was very telling and he was saying obviously at some point in the, the past he'd been given leave and he'd, he'd gone home mm-hmm. and he says i hated it because i knew i had to come back and i had to face this again and it was all all the, the bits around him like he'd given away a medal and everything because he, he realized that Ultimately, it's just a bit of tin with a bit of ribbon attached to it. It means nothing. And just before they, they start off in their, their journey, their, I think it's their sergeant or whoever says, you know, if you get this right, you may get mentioned in dispatches. I it, yeah, aye, yeah. <laughs> that's going to be really worthwhile, yeah. you know. You might yeah. come back
0: with one eye and maybe a hand still intact, but you'll get mentioned in Dispatches.
1: Yes, yes, because the, the the good ladies back home like nothing better than to hear things like that, you know. Backing it up rather nicely was the soundtrack, the soundscape oh, nice. and the, the whole score. It, it just played just underneath everything, but it just helped keeping things going when they were like going through the the whole artillery range part Mm -hmm. and all this and it was just this it's almost like a kinetic thing and it just kept pushing them forward pushing them forward and it was really just there to inform the audience yeah we're keeping going here we're not stopping there's no way we can't stop we don't have the time to do it you know I mean they were only going something like I think it was about eight miles or something Mm -hmm. but the territory they were crossing was so terrifying to them because they didn't know what was going to be there at any turn. It's just, it's it's frightening to think that people actually did that.
0: Yeah, Uh, absolutely. I, I think it's a film that makes you very conscious of time as well because in your head you're like, they've got to get to these people before sunlight, they've got to get to these people and that's kind of lodged in your brain and so when they move from sort of section to section you're just like in my head a lot of the time it's like what time is it because you know what it's like in in europe like it gets dark like super quick and it literally just goes to black like there's there's no sort of sunset so when it got dark really quickly i was like what time is it like is he going to are they going to make it on time what you know how are they going to achieve this because it just got you did kind of like you were conscious of time but you also sort of lost sense of it as well if that makes sense
1: oh yeah totally yes you mentioned in review about the, the use of Wayfaring Stranger. Oh, uh, that, that, was, that was heartbreaking, wasn't it? Yeah. And the, the way that they did that as well, just in, while the soldier was like sitting there singing it and they were all round about him, and the way that they introduced the characters into that and then the camera went right round <laughs> the, the whole of them and came back. It was just, you were going, this is something else. It's just, oh
0: it genuinely feels like sam mendes was trying to absolutely destroy my tear ducts like i heard the opening bars because the version of this song that i've heard is i'm pretty sure it's johnny cash and it does kind of make me a wee bit <laughs> at the best of times so this start the first kind of like opening lines of it and i was like oh god oh god that's that way and stranger song and then As the camera sort of panned around all the soldiers, you're like, some of them were kind of listening and engaged because it was probably a wee bit of entertainment for them, but most of them, they looked like just walking corpses. They just looked awful. And no amount of sort of beautiful singing and, you know, haunting though it was, sort of weaving its way through the trees, nothing was going to change the fact that they were about to go and basically face German artillery or whatever. And it just, oh, that was such a, and it was such a still moment as well. Like everyone was really, really still, including the guy who was singing. And that sort of, as you say, sort of allows you to breathe because it brought the pace right down before it was going to launch you into something else.
1: Yeah. And the fact is, when it panned round all of these soldiers, you realised they were all just boys. They were all 17, 18 year old boys. Now, my grandfather was in the first world war and he lied (laughs) in order he was only something like 14 or 15 but they were desperate for people to uh, be involved so he was actually there and he took care of the horses and the trenches and all that during the first world war but he was just a really young lad but he he, he lied about his age and he
0: took him in which is just incredible I think that was quite common though because mm-hmm. um, in the first world war in particular they set up what they called like friends and family battalions so basically yeah. you and everybody in your street or like you and everybody in your family would sign up to serve together but then mm-hmm. because entire battalions kept getting wiped out which is essentially wiping out like small towns they didn't do that in the second world war but yeah loads of boys lied because everybody else in their family was going mm-hmm. or their, well, street or their s- town or whatever
1: you see that in just about every town and Scotland, if not Britain, mm-hmm. there's a First World War memorial and all the names of the people in the, the days that they died. And so many of them, like I say, they, they all died in the same days or the around about the same sort of time because they were all serving together. And yeah. that's one of the, the reasons why they stopped all that. Yeah.
0: And there is, like there is kind of what I like about this film is you see there is kind of moments of like humor and camaraderie and all that as well because I think it was important to as much as I mean they're clearly traumatized by whatever they've witnessed so far I think they're there was this kind of spirit of like being loyal to whoever you you served with and trying to you know help your friends or whatever you know make it just get through it at whatever cost and I think that was kind of important to show as well that as much as it was probably the worst experience these men would ever have in their lives. And some of them may have get called up again in World War II depending on their age. There was this kind of loyal spirit not necessarily to king and country because a lot of the soldiers in the film comment that they don't really know what they're fighting for or the area looks like a bit of a shithole and they've no idea why they're defending it but they are loyal to each other.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, and that's part of the fact that as you say a lot of them know each other anyway so well it's in times of adversity and all that isn't it the people sort of band together so they may not know why they're doing it but they're doing it because what's the alternative you know they've been fed so much propaganda about how the the germans are going to take over you know the whole of europe and obviously they were all really surprised that they were all still there in april because they expected to be finished by the christmas before instead to obviously completely bog down the trenches and going nowhere moving you know, six inches forward, then moving six inches back. It's just, it was just unbelievable. So would you recommend this film to others?
0: Absolutely. I'm determined to get another super screen experience. And it was just, it was like nothing. I mean, I've like, for God's sake, I'm a history geek. I've seen my fair share of war films, but this was like nothing else I'd ever seen. And I think, because of the sort of age of the the main characters and just the sort of the general sort of cinematography, it, it's absolutely fantastic. I honestly feel like I'll be really hard pushed to find a better film this year, and it's only January.
1: I know, I know exactly, I feel exactly the same way. It's a film I would wholeheartedly recommend for anybody to see. It's not the easiest watch at times due to some of the content, but it is, it's an experience, and I would. Urge people to try and see it at the, the biggest screen they can possibly see it on. It's an amazing it's an amazing piece of work, and it's I mean the likes of like obviously the, the one at the Producers Guild and the Golden Globes, and I don't pay much attention to a lot of these because it is just baubles, you know, backslapping. But I think some of the awards it's been getting are particularly deserved at the moment. It's very good indeed.
0: And a shout out to Christy Wilson Cairns, who co- co-wrote the script, and she is from Shawlands in Glasgow.
1: all right, right, okay, excellent. And it came from an idea that Sam Mendes got from his grandfather, who served in the, the yeah, war as a runner, apparently. I a
0: little notice at the end, and I was yeah. just, by that point, I was I could barely see because of the tears, <laughs> but I did see the surname was the same, and I was like, oh, he must have done this for someone in his family. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: It's uh, it's pretty good, right? So, having talked about 1917, we thought it might be an idea to have a, a wee top three of our favourite war movies. Now, obviously, as Mary alluded to earlier, war movies have been about since probably since the First World War. These lists that we have, I don't know about yourselves, but mine tends not to concentrate on sort of standard war films. Well, there's one, but that's neither here nor there. There are so many variations on films to do with war and warfare and fighting. That is quite a rich topic. Now, I'd obviously like to stress that the views here are entirely ours and there are other war films available should you wish to <laughs> to view them. As always, let us know if you have any, any other choices. We are always open to hearing what our listener <laughs> has to say about these things. <laughs> Hello, Bob. How are you doing?
0: Oh, yay, Bob.
1: (laughs) So, Mary, your first choice of award. Sure.
0: I mean, I'd like to give a few honourable mentions, if I may, before I proceed, because it turns out that, like, 90% of my DVD in blue Blu-ray library as war films which will come as no shock to Chris because I spend my entire time immersed in holocaust literature so battle for Algiers I life is beautiful and Rome Cheetah Aperta just missed out on my top three but to start off my first pick is one of my favourite films of all time which okay. is Downfall Oliver Hirsch 2004 film which centers around Hitler's final days in his Berlin bunker. So this is a film that I remember going to see on a school trip with my history class, just to make you feel old, John. <laughs> and Thank you very much. it it blew me away. And I know it spawned like a million sort of parody things on YouTube, but I think if you are genuinely to sit down and watch this, it's a film that's quite emotionally demanding. And again, it sort of really gets you thinking about the actual people who were involved in, in these situations. So Bruno Gantz stars as Hitler but not Hitler of the maniacal speeches and shouting and salutes. This is a man who is old, he is ill and he is losing the war that he started. Bruno Gantz took a lot of criticism for taking on this role because people accused him of trying to humanize Hitler by obviously giving him the sort of Parkinson's shake and all the rest of it and you know, he's a really respected actor and people couldn't understand why he did it. But it's a film that's it's quite tricky to describe. It's very claustrophobic. It's very intense. You obviously know what the outcome of this is going to be. But there's still so much that you can learn from it. Like, I didn't realise that Hitler was very ill towards the end of of the war and people were kind of watching the decisions that he were making and, you know, nobody in his team could say to him, this is a bad idea because he was just shouting and screaming and, you know, totally a man losing the grip of control that he had and surrounded by yes-men and flunkies and all the rest of it. And in the middle of all this is Traudell Jung, who is a secretary who was brought in to work in the bunker and the film sort of bookended with interviews of like real life interviews of, of her and describing her time there. And it's it's bizarre because there's, you know, Berlin's getting bombed to shit outside and Eva Braun is worried about where her next shipment of champagne is coming from. And, you know, there's so much sort of internal politics and who's best friends with who and who's trying to oust who. And you just it's crazy. Like their world is literally falling down around them. And there's still these kind of like human, really trivial moments. And I think that's why it is so interesting to watch because there are these kind of real nuggets of like human squabbles and it's not a man who you've just seen in black and white you know shouting at you know millions of people it is very it is very human but I think that's kind of the point is that he was just a man and you know so many sort of blindly followed him it's a really really fantastic film and it's as I say, it spawned a lot of kind of parodies and stuff online, but it's a film that I think will, you know, even people who think that they know a lot about World War II or know a lot about, you know, Hitler or Germany or whatever, I think it's a film that can still surprise and certainly shock how the ending happens with Dr. Goebbels and his wife and stuff like that. That, to me, is still a really shocking piece of cinema. But yeah, one of my favourite films of all time, never mind one of my favourite war films.
1: Nice. I have to admit, I have never seen Downfall. I do own it, but I have never (sighs) seen it. I know, I know it's one of these blind spots I've always had, but it, I think in terms of you mentioned, obviously, it spawned a, a thousand videos based on the one scene. Mm-hmm. In a way, that's kind of keeps it in the consciousness because if people are viewing that, they're actually going to say, "Well, what was actually the original one?" They, they want to be able to understand what the references are. I think it was most recently used by Taika Waititi. He did one for Jojo Rabbit, which was yeah. particularly good. But I've seen all sorts of various ones. It's, it's quite something when I've seen sort of parodies more than I've actually seen the film itself but i suppose that's the sort of the world we live in really isn't it yeah. Yep. Yep. excellent choice yeah my first pick is a more sort of traditional film it's a uh, where eagles dare it's a 1968 <laughs> uh, sorry
0: movie. i'm just laughing because my dad tortures us with this every christmas <laughs> it's not this it's Bridge over the river quiet or guns of navarone
1: i didn't consider either the two but yes they're both <laughs> up there top war films yeah this is one of the First films I can actually remember seeing, basically because it's it was pretty much on the telly all the time during the nineteen seventies. Stars Richard Burton, stars Clint Eastwood. It's a sort of almost like a boy zone type war story written by Alistair MacLean, who then went on to do the screenplay for the, the actual film, based around uh, a team, an Anglo. American team that's put together to go into Nazi-occupied Bavaria, I think it is, to rescue a general who's been captured. Now this general is one of the main planners for the, the Western Front, and they want to get to him before he spills all his secrets which would basically turn the tide of the war to the the good of the Nazis. Within the team as well there is suspicions that there's some sort of a mole and the only two that seem to be able to work together are the Clint Eastwood character and the Richard Burton character and they just basically romp through the snow and up into the castle and (laughs) as I say it is a bit of an adventure. The the Nazis are all kind of one-dimensional, but it's a thoroughly enjoyable watch. I, as I say, it's, it's got sentimental value, and when we first thought about this, it was the first thing that actually came to mind, basically because of the Broadsword Calling Danny Boy reference. <laughs> I honestly, like, amazing. Dad, if you're
0: listening, Broadsword to Danny Boy is literally like imprinted on my brain. Because it's just every time it gets, like now when Channel 5 start loading their war films at Christmas, yeah. my dad just goes about the house saying that phrase. Like, no context. Just floating about the house, saying it constantly between Christmas and New Year. <laughs>
1: Yeah, or there's, there's that and the other one where it's the SS officer and he says, I remember the cathedral being on the left-hand side of the square. And uh, that's something that me and my son <laughs> have a back and forward on when we talk about things. And you sort, you sort of paraphrase it. you know. It's one of these sort of in-jokes. It just keeps going and keeps going. Yeah, so... That's basically my first choice. It's not a particularly hard-hitting film. It's a pleasant way to spend a couple of hours. Yeah,
0: as you said, it's like a it's a romp. It's you know America and Britain save the world that sort of thing. Yeah, nothing yeah. wrong with that.
1: Yeah, cool. So
0: one? yeah, this is kind of a wee bit left field for me actually, because I'm not really a big anime fan. But my next choice is uh, Grave of the Fireflies, which is from 1988, and it's a Studio Ghibli production. And I believe they're all being loaded onto Netflix, so this is definitely one to watch if, if you if you can. Well, I think the reason I think I picked this is because I think anyone who maybe isn't as interested in anime, like, you know, I was a novice when I came to this, maybe thinks that it's all sort of full of kind of wide-eyed, sort of giggling kind of giggles and, you know, swear words that come out as hashtags and stuff like that. And I was yeah. really, really surprised by how moved I was by this for two reasons. So it's told from the perspective of two siblings, Seta and Setsuko and they're they're not orphaned but you know their dad's away on the front and their mum's been killed by sort of fallen buildings or something like that so they are kind of on their own so there's the children's perspective but also you know it's set in Japan and we all know how that ended (laughs) so there's this kind of sense of impending doom that right from the start of the film that not only are these children on their own but we know what this we know what the outcome of the war for the Japanese is so it's definitely sort of head filled with this foreboding from the outset so these two kids you know they're met with you know greed and and nastiness and abuse from all the adults that they try to reach out to for help so they are really left to fend for themselves and they end up living in a cave with the older brother going to scavenge for food to try and keep his sister alive because she's really really badly malnourished and the only sort of reprieve they have from the the nightly raids from by the Americans overhead are the fireflies and these are obviously these little green sort of fluorescent dots floating across the screen and it's the only little bit of joy she has in her life because everything else is so miserable and you know if you think you're going into this and it's just a cartoon it's a film that will hit you every bit as much as you know a a real life you know war film with actual actors it's it's so grim and I think especially because it's children at the centre of it it, you can't help but sort of tug on the heartstrings and I think I read somewhere that it's sort of semi- autobiographical from the writer i'm not 100 sure on that but if that is true then my god because it it really is a sort of story of you know no hope and even less hope it's really really a really good watch so if it does come on netflix i thoroughly recommend
1: nice yeah there's basically every studio ghibli film is going to be on they're putting them out over the course of three months to give you plenty of time to to watch them all rather than just dumping them all at the one time. Apparently, sad to say, this is another one I haven't seen. Uh, I will rectify that next month, definitely, because uh, my Studio Ghibli knowledge is very very lacking. I've seen maybe four or five of them, and I really enjoyed everyone that I saw. And like you say, they're not sort of standard anime with big wide-eyed boys and girls pretty much just wearing school uniforms all the time. It's something. It's something <laughs> It's something fun. <laughs> it's something fun deeper than that but sorry to say I, I, yeah. <laughs> I don't really know what to say about it I'm afraid but just basically I mean, because I haven't seen it you know.
0: Honestly my knowledge of, of Studio Ghibli is zero like I'm, I'm the first person to hold my hands up and go do you know what I'm not really an anime fan because my perception of it is exactly the stereotypes that we described but when yep. I sat down to watch this I was pleasantly surprised it's a really really good it's a hard watch but it's a really really good watch. Good stuff good.
1: My second choice is the 1979 film Apocalypse Now. This is basically a war film to end all war films. It took three years to make, which uh, some wars are over (laughs) 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 in that sort of time. It was a a real labour of love for Coppola and the team and the stories behind the film are almost as interesting as the actual film itself. There's a very nice 25th anniversary Blu-ray edition with a documentary on it which was shot by his wife which shows you exactly the sort of things that they had to go through in terms of the production and avoiding weather and illness and all sorts of things. Basically it's a retelling of the 1899 novella of Darkness, which was written by Joseph Conrad. Basically updates it so that it's the Vietnam War that's the, the basis of it. It's the story of Captain Willard, who is tasked with going up river in order to find Colonel Kurtz, who has gone a bit off book and is basically a law unto himself. So he's basically gone up there with the task of either bringing him back or ending him. And on the way, it's more to do with his story and his journey than it is to do with curtsies, but of course that is a major part of it in the end it's got a particularly iconic opening scene with the the overhead fan morphs into the doors the end and basically takes it from there so that basically sets the scene for you and you're saying well this is just unbelievable it's something else it's again it's a it's a film that you probably didn't see the likes of before and it kind of shows on the screen. It's a compelling story. It's a long story. It, it does go on, but the the things that Willard gets up to during the film is just unbelievable. The people he comes across. It has parallels with 1917, and the fact that the people that he encounters are all battle weary they don't know why they're even more they don't know why they're fighting they're halfway across the world and they're fighting for a cause that most of them don't really know anything about it's like a battle against communism but most of these guys don't know anything about that they've just been conscripted they've been told to protect american interests and that's what it comes down to when it came out it was quite an interesting film when it came out because it won the palm d'or at can before it was actually finished They showed an incomplete version.
0: That's right.
1: On the palm door and then it came out. Grossed $150 million worldwide, even though there was mixed reviews. But it has been rightly sort of taken up as a classic of the, the war genre. And just as one of the best films ever made as far as I'm concerned. Like I said, some of the stories in the background, like Martin Sheen having a heart attack. And he was struggling with various addictions at the time. When you see the scene at the start where he's drinking in the, the hotel room he is actually drinking he is actually completely off his face and he did himself a fair amount of damage in that film for some of the problems he was going through at the time the, uh, again is well documented I would uh, direct you to a few books and articles that sort of surround the film it's Just yeah, amazing. I think
0: I have that anniversary Blu-ray that you're talking about because I don't read that people got like not dysentery or typhoid but something like yeah. that kind of swept through the set as well like I don't know what the exact disease was, but people just seemed to, cat, and everyone was like, you know, out like flies as, as usual. You no, know, it's one of these films that, again, my dad introduced me to that, and it's it's grimy, it's sweaty, the soundtrack is incredible, and by the time, you know, Brando's character is introduced, like you said, off book, I mean, I think that's putting it really, <laughs> really wildly, but it it's a fascinating film, and like a lot of war films, it involves this sort of quest of getting from A to B, but it's never that, straightforward no rightfully so a classic it is a bit on the long side you have to dedicate time to sit down and watch it but it's so so worth it
1: yeah i think it's one of these films that maybe took me about two three goes to actually watch it all the way through because it's one of these films that you think is a really good idea to start watching at 11 o'clock at night yeah <laughs> by every quarter past 12 you realize that you're never going to make it all the way so
0: i'm never gonna yeah. make it man i'm not gonna make it
1: <laughs> <laughs> so your third and final choice
0: so uh, I'm almost kind of disappointed in myself at how mainstream I've gone when I when I look at what I could have chosen. So my third and final choice is Hacksaw Ridge. Mm-hmm. You know, say what you want about Big Mel. The dude does a good big historical epic. He really knows his shit when it comes to this. So I can't even remember when this was released, but it was recently. It was like 2015 or 16. And the film focuses on the character of, well, sorry, not the character of the real life person, Desmond Doss, who's played by Andrew Garfield, who is the who was the first person in American history to win their Medal of Honor without actually ever having fired a shot. So he served in World War Two, and rather than be a sort of conscientious objector, or whatever the American equivalent is, he decided to go into the military, but with the clear intention of never wounding or hurting or shooting or whatever because he was extremely religious and was ultimately a pacifist and there's a couple of things that sort of stem this belief you know he grew up with a really abusive father and he you know does have really sort of strong religious morals but it's a film that really really again it just sort of emotionally kind of ruins you like there's a, a scene that Chris always refers to as well where Doss is actually using one of his comrades as a human shield to sort of run across a battlefield and try and survive getting from one side to the other but it's a film that really sort of it makes you Sort of think about. It's going to sound really cheesy, but the sort of endurance of the human spirit. Like he was, you know, he was vilified, he was abused, he was made fun of because he was just determined not to actually be involved in the violence of war. And yet, what he did achieve in terms of saving people and helping fellow soldiers was nothing short of incredible. the The guy is like a, a miracle, to use a religious term. And there's a there's so many shots in that film where you're just like everyone's crying, or you know, the battlefield is like like, so full of smoke and fire that you can barely see and it, it like 1917 it sort of sweeps you up in your surroundings and it's just it's a really really great film Vince Vaughn is in it as well he puts in a really good performance as well actually as one of the army sergeants but it's just it's a film that's it's so powerful and it's like again it's a story that I'd never heard before of the of this young man determined to go to war to serve his country but not but determined equally not to do any harm to anyone else and it is it's quite emotional i think there's an interview with the the real desmond at the end and he still you know he has absolute courage and his conviction and it's just it's a pretty remarkable story but beautifully shot and again really drags you into that sort of soundscape of war
1: mm-hmm. yeah there's a couple of big battle scenes especially in the third act which are just amazing to to see like you say mel does a good mel does a good film even if he does have questionable politics and Hello. obviously he's not the only one these days <laughs> <laughs> it has uh, it, mr Vaughan as well has been in the news recently for something similar so really no well it was shaking hands with trump in public, you know, so, but he's always been sort of a, a right-wing sort of a Advocate anyway. It came so. me
0: thinking that dragged across concrete was like fictional. I had no idea. Bloody yeah. <laughs> hell.
1: <laughs> I know, I know. But the film had the potential to be really, really bad. Sort of one of these movie of the week, very mm-hmm. cheesy. Yeah, yeah. And it avoided that so well. Just the, the Andrew Garfield performance is just sublime. Yeah. It's fantastic. And then obviously he's he's channeling a real life person so obviously that added an extra dimension to it but I thought it was a fantastic film at the time I I really liked it even you'll know I won't spoil it for anyone but there's a a scene with the Vin Bond character and the Andrew Gaffrey character towards Mm -hmm. the end of it which did kind of drag me out of it a wee bit the same way that he dragged him out of it a wee bit Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) which uh, I I thought was a wee bit much they could have kind of done without what they did there but overall yes i thought it was a fantastic movie it's yep a very good choice and quite an unusual choice considering the the number of films that are out there but yes it's very worth yeah,
0: well as, as i say there was a couple i mean life is beautiful is like again just something that just makes me weep from start to finish but actually perhaps i, I would get accused of being too fixated on one particular side of, of the story so i thought you know what i'm going to go for something that's a wee bit more kind of mainstream so yep, europe last choice
1: My last choice is Full Metal Jacket, the 1987 film by Stanley Kubrick. I was a little young to really take in The Shining when it came out. So this was really my first exposure to Stanley Kubrick. And of course, it's nothing like anything that he's really done before or since. It's uh, an amazing film which concentrates on soldiers coming through training and going on to the war there's basically two halves of it there's a half where the soldiers are all together principally private joker and private pile and it's how they go through their basic training and then the second half of the film is their deployment into vietnam and it basically follows private joker as he goes in as i think he's in the some sort of reporter or something Mm -hmm. He, he reports for stars and stripes the, the newspaper of the forces it's an immensely powerful film because again it shows you that a lot of the time it's these young inexperienced underprivileged guys that are fighting for something that they they don't know what it's about and a lot of them are just there because either they were forced to do it or they think it's a good idea they're, they're looking for something to do and the army seems like a good idea it was Obviously set during quite the early days of the Vietnam conflict, so therefore there wasn't the same sort of news reporting and a lot of the horrors. It wasn't mm-hmm. reaching the US in the same way. It was always obviously still there, but a lot of it was following the government line that they were winning and they were winning well. And obviously it was only when they got over there and actually found out what was actually going on, just what kind of shit show it actually was, and the fact that so many young guys died. It was just... Unbelievable. You just can't believe it. So, as I say, it's a Stanley Kubrick film. It really, really knows its subject, everything about it. The Drill Instructor lee emery is actually a drill instructor he was brought in to coach the drill instructor they were going to use and when they saw what he was doing they just said you can do that you just do you just take on that part and i don't know if you actually remember but actually the hit single based on that when they were doing all their their exercises and they do it to a chant and everything Mm -hmm. they actually took that and they made that into a no song way. with a sort of a dance beat to it, and they were able to change the tempo of it and things like that. Take it oh, out. It's called that... "I Want to Be Your Drill Instructor." It's called.
0: No way. That Seriously.
1: is not. Yep. It was like a top 20 hit or something back then, which no. is fairly crazy.
0: That is that is absolutely nuts. I remember, it, like it's like it feels to me like a kind of mainstream Kubrick, but as you say, you know, a Kubrick that absolutely knows the subject matter inside out. But I remember the first time I saw it, and that the drill instructor character scared the absolute shite out of me like I knew then and there that I would never ever entertain a career not that I ever would but like if I was ever conscripted I wouldn't last five minutes in any sort of army because that was so terrifying but I think again it's quite interesting you know looking at the the Vietnam War and how many movies about it were made so close to the actual time of the war like usually we sort of wait a wee while and then we sort of reflect but actually a lot of the Vietnam War movies were coming out like, you know, barely 10 years after it had finished.
1: Yeah, and obviously there's, I, t- I touched on earlier, the Private Pile character, Vincent D'Onofrio, and one of his early roles. And mm-hmm. it's, oh, it's a piece of acting that is just superb. He goes from one extreme to the other in the space of about 50 minutes or so. This naive, helpless guy who ends up sleeping with oh. his rifle And then it it just goes on from there. It's just, it's just absolutely brilliant. Especially like his sort of main scene, which is about halfway through the film. Oh, oh man, it's just it's frightening, frightening stuff. So there we go.
0: Choice number three. Choice. You have knocked out of the park. That's like three totally solid choices.
1: Yeah, and reasonably different ones as well. Yeah. Although two, two of them are obviously Vietnam films rather than war films. But like you said, there is so many. You know, Bridge of the River Kwai. Another Kwai. <laughs> all all, all of this sort of stuff. I mean, yeah. there's even obviously things like The Great Escape and mm-hmm. The Longest Day and all these sort of films that they do kind of stand up to scrutiny. The Great yeah. Escape was on again over the holiday period and I sat and watched it and it does actually hold up as a story and it, it works very well, mainly because there's so many good actors in it and everything.
0: Oh but, yes, super well acted. Random fun fact for any history buffs out there. The first film that germany ever commissioned and you know it was sort of was brought out in germany about world war Two. Mm-hmm. it's called the murderers and amongst us and it was released in 1946 wow. that close to the end of the war
1: <sighs> Jinx.
0: and it's a really good watch super hard to get a hold of i remember finding a copy of it in the university library but totally worth the watch really really interesting how reflective it is so close to the event nice
1: nice right so you've heard our choices we have giving you a flavour of what we think of as good war films. We'd obviously like to hear from you. You can get us on the usual social media channels, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can email us at moviescramble.co.uk. Go on, you can be the first. Obviously, we've been doing this for just under a year. And the response that we've had has been absolutely phenomenal from uh, the people who have listened to us and downloaded the podcast and took the time to give us a review. If you do get the chance, please review us on the podcast app of your choice. It means an awful lot to us. It means that we are actually getting the message out there and people actually like what we hear. And it means that more random strangers will come up to Mary in the pub and and talk to her. (laughs) Which is a very good thing.
0: I was actually at a burn supper on Saturday night, sat next to a gentleman who also listens to our podcast. Nice, nice. So we've got fans everywhere.
1: And he heard that voice and he said, I know that voice somewhere. He was like,
0: Mary? I was like, yes, <laughs> yes, it is me. <laughs> <laughs> John's got Wayne's to feed everyone, so please give us a review. And actually, yeah, I mean, we sort of, we were kind of reluctant to sort of start this and be a bit hesitant because we didn't think we'd sort of find an audience. So I do really appreciate um, anyone that does listen to us. It means a lot.
1: Yeah, I have to say I was more reluctant than everybody else. means
0: means Sammy we were like, well, just get John drunk and then he'll agree to.
1: <laughs> yes, and guess what? That's the way its Ta-da! Ta-da! <laughs> So we'll finish off tonight with a quick chat on a wee news item. In The Guardian, at the weekend, there was uh, an article about how British stars are unveiling an alternative BAFTA list. Basically, this has got to do with the fact that when the BAFTA nominations were announced, there was a a real lack of diversity in most of the, the major categories, especially Best Film. It's five white guys as normal, even in the the categories that are for women, best female actor in a leading and supporting role was limited to pretty much white faces. And in fact, in the supporting role character, I think Margot Robbie is nominated twice Mm -hmm. for two different roles, which is obviously a real slap in the face for a number of actors out there who, let's face it, have been doing some fantastic work over the, the last year, if not even longer, without getting some of the recognition they've been deserving. What do you think about this?
0: I think it's it's a tricky issue to navigate for two reasons. So I've actually just been reading a couple of books about female filmmakers and females who've been working in the film industry. And I learned so much about it. You know, I, I learned that a woman invented the boom mic and that, you know, in the 1920s and 30s, there were literally hundreds of female directors and crew that you could have picked from. And then sort of the studio system came in and, and it all changed. I think the issue is that with so many things in life that we are very much conditioned to see the white dudes in the director's chair or the lead actor's chair and I think that whilst it's great that these campaigns are really highlighting the lack of diversity and and across the board, things aren't going to change overnight and I know they had this sort of Oscar So White campaign a couple of years ago and they sort of tried to ameliorate that last year but then that creates its own backlash with people saying oh you've just picked people because they're black and not because they're the best actor so it's really really tricky politics to navigate but what I would say is that, you know, visibility is a huge issue. And if, you, if you're a woman and you want to direct films, but the constant examples that you see are of old white dudes, you know, you don't feel represented and you don't feel like you can, you can go for it and you can pursue that career. And the same goes for, you know, Latino actors, Asian actors, black actors, all genders and, you know, black directors, Asian directors, all that sort of thing. There's... It, it is a visibility issue and, and we'll continue to have this problem of not enough diverse nominees if people don't feel like they can go into the industry because the industry itself doesn't represent them. It's that kind of chicken and egg thing. Mm-hmm. But I don't think we're going to change opinions overnight. Like I think that to expect that because you sort of launch a kind of social campaign one year, that next year is going to be, you know, completely as diverse as you could want it to be, I I don't think that's realistic. Because ultimately, the people who are Oscar voters or BAFTA voters or whatever are probably old white dudes.
1: Yeah, but you say obviously they, they they raise awareness by. Having certain campaigns, mm-hmm. if anything, the BAFTAs are going backwards, not forwards. They're, they're, it's it's gotten worse than it's gotten better really in the last couple of years, and it's it's making these sort of awards even less relevant than they are now. I'm not saying that they're particularly relevant now. They're just it becomes meaningless for a lot of people because they say. Doesn't represent what I watch. It doesn't represent what I like, and it doesn't represent what I think is good. Now, one of the perform- best performances of last year, in my opinion, was Lupita Nyong'o and Us.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: And that's been nowhere. Part of that's to do with the fact that the film was released so early in the year, and oh. there was so- there was so many strong <laughs> films released towards the end of the year, but still I, I can't understand why she wasn't even in the conversation for a lot of these things it's it's it, it's beyond me I think her performance in that is far better than any leading actress performance yeah uh, I... it's up, up for nominations and most awards
0: listen I felt really underwhelmed by both actually like I was kind of surprised at how little I felt engaged with what was up for award I've seen so much better this year and I've seen so many different films this year and I guess it's kind of what i was saying about my war films you know I watch a lot of European cinema and Chris has certainly introduced me to anime and I'm trying to you know do the Glasgow Film Festival every year and I'm, I'm seeing a, a lot you know a really rich range of films and I just kind of felt that apart from one or two sort of nominations that I thought yeah that's well deserved it it didn't engage with me at all
1: mm-hmm. yeah yeah I mean, it doesn't represent anything that I'm really watching as well. It's it's Aww. kind of strange. It, but then that's what happens. The new awards get created. There, there's the likes of the Biffas, the Independent Film Awards, mm-hmm. yep. and there's all there's all sorts of like smaller awards. Especially the, there's one, I and I'm I'm lost for the name of it at the moment. But the it it's, it goes all year. And they, they nominate smaller films and then like one gets chosen each month and there's a big ceremony at the end of the year and it includes the whole year and it's quite diverse oh. and everything and that so it's I think it may be the gold awards it's okay. a it's only maybe in its second or third year uh, well, of, of going I think
0: I think the thing is that you know the more this kind of keeps continuing this way and and, and the more that did it, certain groups feel very underrepresented i think these kind of smaller awards will actually benefit from that because there'll be more interest and more traction Mm -hmm. because they're actually representing what people are going to see and listen i say that as somebody who you know i bloody love a big popcorn blockbuster that you know i'm buzzing for you know the new mission impossible's coming out and, and the new james bond but that isn't all i consume
1: yeah yeah Yep.
0: So I think there's a real, you know, people, whoever is that's in charge of these votes or whatever, really needs to take a step back and think about what people are actually watching and also how they're watching it as well. Because I've seen, a, you know, the Irishman is obviously nominated because it's a Netflix production. But actually, I think we'll we'll see more and more of that. We'll see more kind of streaming service productions being nominated for awards. Marriage stories obviously up as well. But I really, really think that we need to to actually reflect how people are, are, are consuming media and what they're consuming. And a lot of people are really rejecting sort of, you know, the trip to the cinema.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been going on like that for a while. That's why so many films are blockbusters now, because it's the cinema experience mm-hmm. that they're going for, rather than a, a mid-budget film, the likes of Marriage Story, which is made to be projected in the cinema, but mm-hmm. majority of people will see it at home, and they'll be quite happy watching it at home. Because they, they just want to be entertained, and you, you want to be entertained by good actors, and you want a, a good script, and you want to you you want to be involved in a story. And if you're getting that in the comfort of your own home, then that's what people are going to do more and more.
0: Yeah, and I definitely think that, you know, kind of smaller festivals, like obviously you and I are hoping to, to go to Glasgow, although I would say that's kind of slowly getting bigger, mm-hmm. are going to benefit from this as well if, if, again, they cater to a more sort of diverse range of, of needs. And and that's what it is. It is a need. It is a need to see, you know, you know I'm a, I'm a woman. I want to see female directors being being nominated for good work and not, not out of tokenism, but because it's merited...
1: Yes, absolutely, yes. Everything should be in merit. It shouldn't just be because of a person's skin tone or anything else to do with that. It should all be in merit, but a lot of the time you're not even getting to play in the same field. No. It's just, it is the way of it. Somehow I don't think we're going to solve this problem between us.
0: (laughs) No, hashtag fuck the patriarchy and be done with it.
1: (laughs) Yes, yeah, yeah. Speaking as a middle-aged white man, you know. (laughs) <laughs> you and you know, your privilege <laughs> yeah I'm fighting the power in my own way <laughs> <laughs> so uh, well, that's us done then for another Movie Scramble podcast I'd just like to thank Mary for your insightful input as ever it's been a real pleasure and uh, as I say I'd like to thank all our listeners for everything yeah. so from myself it's cheerio and see you next time Good night.